All right, the, uh, as today's Father's Day, the following story is shared with you for your enjoyment only. Uh, a young woman uh, brings her, her fiancé home to meet her parents for the first time. Apparently, they had gotten engaged while they were away at college. And so, uh, after dinner, the mother tells her, her husband, the father, you know, you need to find out a little bit more about this guy. We don't know anything about him. So, the father invites the fiancé into his study for a little man-to-man, heart-to-heart talk. So as they were sitting there, the dad asked this young man, he said, so, you know, what are your plans in life? And the young man says, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a Torah scholar. He said, a Torah scholar, that's, that's admirable, but what will you do to provide a nice house for my daughter to live in as she's accustomed to? He goes, well, I will study hard, and God will provide for us. And the dad thought for a second, said, well, how will you buy her a beautiful engagement ring such as she deserves, because I noticed that she doesn't have one on her finger at this time. He said, I will concentrate on my studies, sir, and God will provide for us. You go, what about children? How will you support your children? And the young man said, sir, don't worry about it. God will provide for us. And the conversation proceeds like this. Each and every time the dad asks the question, this young idealist insists that God will provide. So later in the evening, while they're getting ready for bed, The mom looks at the dad and says, so uh, how did your talk go tonight? And the the father answered and said, well, I don't know. He has no job. He has no plans. But the good news is, apparently, he thinks I'm God. (laughs) So for all of us who can relate to such sons-in-law... We'll pause for a moment of silent prayer. (laughs) You know, we're in the midst of a a series of messages, uh, which I've entitled, Living Today in Light of Eternity. And the point is quite simple. If we were absolutely convinced, 100% convinced that in the future, things will occur exactly as God promises, should it not have an impact in how we live our life today? You know, think about it. For example, if we're convinced that there is a place called hell that awaits all those who refuse to repent of their sins. All of those who reject Jesus Christ, his substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection. If there is a place called hell that's reserved for those who once they die physically have rejected Jesus, there are no second chances, there are no do-overs. If we're truly convinced of this awful judgment that awaits one in the future, would not one consider repenting of their sins, responding by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ, and receiving him as their savior today in order to avoid that judgment tomorrow? I mean, think about it. If we're really convinced that hell exists would it not encourage those of us who have repented of sin, who have trusted in Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection on our behalf, who have received him as our Savior, the only way that we can find forgiveness with God, if we're convinced that hell exists 
And we've acted upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, that which we have heard, we have received. And it's of foremost or first importance that Jesus died on the cross according to our sins, that he rose again according to the scriptures. I mean, if we're convinced of that, then would it not give us a sense of urgency to share that same loving message with those around us who have not repented? If you believe the bridge was out up ahead and anybody driving down the road was going to their, their, you know, certain death in the future as they continue to drive, wouldn't you do everything that you could to jump out in front of them and to try to get their attention and say, stop, you need to stop where you're going because you're going to be destroyed? I would hope so. I would hope the knowledge, the certain knowledge of the future would have everything to do with how we respond today to life. Now, on the flip side, think of this. If we're convinced that heaven is a place of future reward for those who are born again, for those who are adopted into God's family through faith in Christ, if we're convinced that when we're absent from the body, we'll be present with the Lord, and that there's continuity of life after this life ends, we continue in the life that's to come. If we're convinced of this, that not only is our future secure, but that we can experience abundant life and peace with God now in the present, why would we not repent? Why would we not trust in Christ? Why would we not receive him as Savior today? See, now that one has a secured place in God's family, and that comes, as I said, through repentance And through trusting in Christ, those who receive him become children of God to those who believe in his name. We're adopted into the family of the God. We can call God our father, Abba. Uh, He's our dad. And that we have this inheritance that he has set aside for us, those who have trusted in Christ. You know, and these are all true statements that God makes. And the reality of it is, is that For those of us who have trusted in Christ and are now children of God, to those who believe in his name, were adopted into the family of God, we have been introduced to an event that you and I, as God's people, will be subject to at some time in the future, and it's called the judgment seat of Christ. We will be judged for our lives on this earth, in this life, prior to the next, on what we have done subsequent to coming to faith in Christ that are worthy of God's rewards. Give yourself a test. If you knew next week that you had a test in some area, when would you start to study? Now, most of us, I realize, if the test was Wednesday, Tuesday night is going to be a really busy night. True, that's kind of the way it is. It's like, when's the test Wednesday? Tuesday sounds like a good day to me. And, uh, and so we procrastinate, we wait to the last minute. The problem with this test or this judgment of God is that we don't know when that appointed day is for us and then comes judgment. See, we don't know if today's the day that's been appointed for you and I to go home to be with our Savior because we just don't know the day. You know, if you knew that you had an annual employee review and you knew when it was going to happen, you would probably want to know if you were being, you know, how you were going to be measured. What are you going to look for? 
you know, at the end of this week or month or, you know, those who are in sales know that, hey, monthly sales reports or whatever, there's a continual evaluation of whether there's progress being made or digression being made. You know, are you adding to your backlog or are you taking away from it? I mean, where do we stand? And so there's a continual examination that takes place. And it's like, okay, well, maybe we need to have weekly objectives or monthly for sure, no more than quarterly, especially if at the end of all of it, we're going to be judged annually for what we've done. Athletes are a great example. Those who have incentive clauses in their contract. You know, not one of them starts off saying that the goal was to be, you know, inducted into the Hall of Fame of their particular career. But one thing that I do know, and having met and, and, and being friends with several people who have been inducted into the Hall of Fame of their respective careers, is that one thing was true of every one of them, and that was this, that they were committed to be excellent today. If they had practiced today, they were excellent at practice today. If they had a game today, they were excellent at the game. And if they did that over the course of, you know, one season, two seasons, 10 seasons, 20 seasons, that that performance took care of itself over the course of time. But there was one thing that they all had in common, that is this, that I'm going to be excellent today at what I do. I'm not going to put it off till next Wednesday. I'm not going to put it off till next month. I'm not going to put it off till next year. Today's the day of the Lord. Let us rejoice and be glad in today. So as we consider this judgment seat of Christ, how can knowing about eternal rewards help us achieve long-term spiritual goals? And I want to give you a little bit of background, and then we're going to talk specifically about what God will be looking for on our day of judgment. Number one, God has revealed these rewards in scripture so that we can build a reservoir of knowledge to tap into when things get tough in this life. God has revealed to us, hey, don't ever forget, there's a day coming where you will be judged for your life on earth and you will be rewarded accordingly. So when you're starting to drag a little bit, and you're starting to, you know, get a little bit burned out in this lifetime, God says, don't forget the knowledge that I've given you that will help you in dealing with today because they offer us hope and assurance about the future. Another thing about rewards is that they encourage us when we do get tired when we're weary, when we feel overlooked for doing God's will, when we could be selfishly living and doing what we want to do for ourselves. I mean, there's nobody that can't relate to this. In other words, for the mother who gets tired of chasing after toddlers and and changing diapers and, and the thankless job that that can be when children are younger, God says, you know what? Don't worry about it because I see what you're doing. And I want to encourage every mom to realize there is no higher or greater calling for a woman than to mother her children in a godly way. Don't buy into the lie that somehow you're missing out on something. You have your children with you for a window of opportunity. 
And you need to understand the responsibility that you have to nurture those children while they're living under your roof. There's a day coming where they'll be gone. Then you can pursue your career. You can pursue other things. There's a lot of stuff that God may lead you to do. But you know what? Don't ever buy into the lie that somehow that's some kind of demeaning responsibility to raise your children in the knowledge of the Lord. You know, God also watches and keeps track of all the dads that are out there who are exhausted from working long hours so that we can continue to write checks, you know, to pay for the braces and the mortgage and the utilities and the sporting equipment and every sport there was something new that had to be bought and then your kids kept growing. It's like, didn't we just buy you? Didn't we just buy you those shoes you last year? It's like, well, yeah, but they don't fit anymore. But they're brand new. So we need, you know, it's like, wow. Or for the, uh, the, the guy who gets to walk four daughters down the aisle. <laughs> you know, praise God. <laughs> Each time you walked, it was a little lighter. <laughs> no, that worked. You know, it's just like, you know, and, and the endless expenses that come with, you know, living this lifetime. And, you know, for all of us who get frazzled and downcast and plain worn out, God says, one day I will repay and I will reward your faithfulness. God is not unjust as to forget our works that we've done in righteousness. Hebrews 6.10. You know, knowing about rewards provides motivation to continue serving the king. You know, sometimes you just get flat out tired of doing the right thing before God. And, um, you know, we're more willing to make sacrifices today when we read his word and understand that, you know what? There isn't anything that you're giving up that won't be restored a hundredfold in the kingdom of God. So, you know what? Be steadfast and immovable. Don't get discouraged. Don't get downcast. Keep serving him. Because there isn't a day that you serve God that he's not going to reward you at the judgment seat of Christ. We've got some stuff to look forward to. And the last thing is the truth about rewards is God's information to pass along to other believers who are discouraged and to build them up in their faith. You know, it's not always just about us. What we learn in Scripture not only should encourage us, build us up, uh, you know, when we're down, but we should also be looking for God's people who are discouraged in the midst of their circumstances and encourage them to get back to the word of God and to build them up on God's promises and God's truth. This information is just not for our own benefit. It's to edify and build up all of God's people. So the more that we know and the more knowledge this reservoir we have, the more we can minister to other people and help them in their own circumstances. Now, the natural question should be this. Well, if God is going to judge me, which he will, then how can I earn God's rewards? If I must appear before Jesus, which is the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, what will he judge me? And I say, what will he judge me against? Or what will be the standard that he uses? It's kind of like when our children were smaller and we kept track of their growth by making marks on the wall. And so you'd put them up against the wall and you would mark on the wall and, you know, they were always excited to see if they grew. You know, it was like, but we just checked five minutes ago. <clears throat> well, yeah, I know, but there's a lot more taller people in my class, you know, so I just want to see how I'm, how I'm holding up. And, you know, and so you check it and you check it and you check it. And it was an objective standard. 
Not, not too long ago when I was in the hospital, I'd been going through these fluctuations with weight of retaining, you know, water or whatever. And uh, that's from the menopausal women's blood I've been getting every Tuesday. It's a theory I may be wrong, but nonetheless... So I'd be blown up. I'd be like in the doctor's office one day and I'd weigh 165 and the next time I'd weigh 185 and, and Linda and I'd be looking at each other like, that can't be right. And then in the hospital last time when I had to go to emergency, you know, they just flushed everything out of my system and they, and they measure me and, and, and it's like, you weigh 146. I'm like, I don't weigh 146. I haven't weighed 146 since third grade. <laughs> that can't be right. And, you know, and I wasn't adamant about it because they had a scale. <laughs> but praise God, I had my wife with me. And that scale meant nothing to her. And, and you know how she is. She's like, weigh him again. <laughs> weigh him again. I will not be married to a 146-pound guy. The man used to weigh 215, weigh him again. And the lady was like, and she did, and it came out 146 again. And I was like going, oh man, we could be up all night tonight. (laughs) But there's an objective standard. And so the point is, we need to know what Jesus will be looking for when he judges our life uh, to determine what we have earned in the way of God's rewards. Okay, so we've got this outline before you. There are several ways to earn God's rewards. It's not every way, and that's why I struggled with, well, what's the title going to be? Well, it's not every way because it's not an exhaustive list of everything the Bible says that Jesus will use in determining our, our judgment and our rewards, but it's several ways that are very clear and several ways that we should begin immediately to consider whether these things are true of our lives. So we, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Get ready. So here we go. But it's also important to note at this time, just as God declares the way of salvation, he determines what behavior he will reward. You follow that? That's really important. Because I've sat in on personnel evaluations, employee evaluations, and I've heard some of the dumbest things come out of employees' mouths. Well, but, but I get in here every day at 6 o'clock. It's like, yeah, well, but if I remember right, when I come by your office, you're doing your personal bills, you're reading the sports section, and you're doing your daily Bible study. And so I'm sorry, I missed something. So you should be rewarded for early attendance? Well, if you were here working, maybe. But you could stay home and do what you're doing. So, you know, don't get confused by that activity. So what's going to happen is on the day that we stand before Jesus, some of us are going to say, but Lord, didn't we do this? And he'll say, yeah, but I never asked you to do any of that. These are the things I told you that you need to do if you want to be rewarded by me. Some of those other things you got rewarded in that lifetime. These are things I'm going to reward you for eternity. So here we go. Number one, remember now, these rewards are specifically for believers. This is not for unbelievers. An unbeliever will never stand before the beam of seat of Christ. 
Those who die rejecting Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ will stand before the great white throne judgment, which we'll talk about later. They will be judged for their life's behavior, which will indict them and affirm and confirm that everything God says about humanity is true. There are none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all we're getting to do is run the tape back on your life and you won't have a leg to stand on if you're trying to say you're a good person. So, that's a whole other topic. This is for those of us who have come to faith in Christ. Number one, we can earn God's reward by exercising hospitality with an attitude that's pleasing to God. By entertaining others, specifically, the Bible talks about hospitality as the entertainment of strangers, and we do so with an attitude that's pleasing to God. Matthew chapter 25, look at verse, let's start with verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, and I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, you clothed me. Sick, you visited me. In prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did this to one of these, my brother, even the least of them, you have done it unto me. And he goes on in verse 46 and says, And these will go away, those who he he, uh, talks about in verses 41 through 45, into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The reward that we will have for serving God varies from eternal life which is given to all who trust in in Christ and have uh, repented of sin. But there are also rewards that are given as we saw in Luke's gospel account where he said that, hey, you know what? You invite the poor. You invite those who can't reciprocate. You invite those who have nothing to offer back in return. And you'll notice he says, and you know what? And if you will do these things, and he went out and said to the one who invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you're repaid in full. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You will be blessed since they don't have the means to repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You know, hospitality or entertaining strangers is a huge subject in the Bible. It's a wonderful way to demonstrate Christ living within us. You know, we don't look um, for anything in return. In fact, if you'll notice in Matthew 25, these people were oblivious to what God was talking about. What do you mean? I don't know. What are you talking about? When did we see you naked and give you clothes? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you, you know, thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you in prison? And Jesus said, you know what, to the, to the, to the extent that you have done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it to me. And so he recognized that. He honored that. And they were kind of, their lifestyle was such that giving or being hospitable to others was as natural as being selfish is to those who have not come to faith in Christ. It's as simple as that. 
We do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And in other words, God recognizes and he honors that. God's people, we become God's eyes to see the needs of this world. God's people, we become God's ears to hear the cries of those who are suffering. God's people, we become God's hands to reach out and minister to those who are in great need. God's people, we become God's feet to go to where they are and meet them at their level and reach them uh, in a way that is honoring to God. Now, you've got to remember what we're talking about here is this is all about the Lord, not about us. See, we can do these things and take credit for them ourselves, and if we do, we've, had, we've got our reward in full, this side of eternity. But when we minister in Christ's name, and we do these things sacrificially, then God says, you know what? I will repay you in full. You know, you can be hospitable and not have the right attitude towards God. I remember years ago when the Rams were in town, and we'd have a Bible study, and we'd have it during the middle of the week because the guy's off day was the middle of the week. And, you know, and they would come, and they just wouldn't leave because they had the next day off. And that'd be like 11.30, midnight. You know, we'd start, like, putting the timers on the lights. You know, they'd be shutting off all over the house. Everybody, the guys would be like, hey, your lights are shutting off. I'd say, yeah, I wonder why that is. Oh, look, it's 1 o'clock. You guys got, oh, you're off tomorrow. I got to get up in four hours. You know, and it was kind of like, well, you know, that's nice to be hospitable, but it's also better to be hospitable with an attitude that's pleasing to God. And so you kind of work through those little details as you move along. So anyway, we need to have the right attitudes. Uh, We need to serve not under compulsion, but voluntarily with hearts that are right before God. I don't know how many times I talk to Christians who are in positions where they're serving and they do it with a bitterness or a bad attitude. And it's almost like, well, if I don't do it, no one will do it. And my attitude in ministry has always been the same. If your attitude towards serving and the ministry that you're serving is, if I don't do it, nobody will do it, then I'd say we're better off with nobody doing it. Until God raises up the person that he's put this burden and passion on their heart because they'll have an attitude that's pleasing to God and the people they're serving will be best served by someone who wants to be there. So we will never coerce anybody into serving in any area of ministry. Either God puts it on your heart and he's gifted you to do it and you have a passion to do it and it's demonstrated and it's affirmed by the people that you're serving or it's not. And if it's not, then we keep praying that God will raise up the right person or persons for that ministry because that's the only way God can be honored through the midst of it. Number two, we also can earn a reward by assisting people who represent the kingdom of God. You know, if you turn to Matthew 10, verses 40 through 42, in simple terms, what we find here is that God rewards those who help those who minister to other people. Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42, we read this. He who receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So if you receive Jesus, you receive the Father who has sent him. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. 
And he says, and whoever in the name of a disciple gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. And so what he's saying here is that if you are committed to help those who are out reaching the world with the gospel, you are committed somehow or another to help them do the job that God has called them to do. Every one of us can't be out into the world sharing the gospel. It's just not physically possible. But if we partner with those who are out reaching people for the kingdom of God, then notice very carefully that we are in line to receive the same reward that that person who's out, quote, on the front lines, like our missionary families, they're out doing things that you and I physically can't do because we can't be there. But if we commit to meet their physical needs through financial resources and otherwise, and prayer as well, and we partner up with them in ministry to allow them to do what it is that God is, is calling them to do, then not only do they receive an award, reward for being obedient, but all of us who have been obedient to send them receive the same reward. How incredible is that? Because it's showing that, you know what, this is a partnership. The body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, every piece of the body is as important as the next piece. And so what God is saying is that I will honor those who send those who reach others with the gospel. Because there's one thing common of everyone who's involved in the process. And you know what that is? An obedient heart. It takes obedience to go and it takes obedience to write the check to send them to go. And that's all God's looking for are people who are obedient. Because if you love me, you obey my commandments. So if you want to be rewarded, then you need to be committed to support those who are committed to reach the world with the word of God. You know, it's a great story. You can read it on your own in 1 Kings chapter 17 about Elijah and the widow and her son. And this widow and her son received Elijah into their household, having prepared what they thought was going to be their final meal, and gave it to Elijah to eat, knowing that they were doomed to starve to death. And the miraculous provision that God made for her and her son afterwards is a great result of one who receives a prophet and the reward that goes out to those who do. We are partners we are financial partners in ministry, and we need to have obedient hearts to send those who go, and we need to have obedient hearts to be the one who is sent. And you know what? And God's laying it on all of our hearts that we're either one or the other. I can't go, but I can help send you if you're committed to reach people with the gospel. I don't have the resources but I'm committed to leave my family to go and reach a group of people that God has put on my heart that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you can help me, I'll go. That's the partnership that we're looking for. Number three, we also can earn a reward by giving of ourselves and our material resources without seeking the attention of others. 
And in fact, you know what I want to do is I want to take a look at these three spiritual disciplines that the Jewish folks were very familiar with because they understood these three disciplines. And when we tie them all together, you're going to see that there's a very central point that is made throughout this particular passage, and it all tie together. Let's look at the first one in verse 1 of chapter 6 of the Gospel of Matthew. He says, beware, okay, saying, okay, listen up. Here's a danger that you and I can fall into. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, guess what? You have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. So what he's talking about is giving. And he's saying, beware or be very careful of this subtle sin nature trait. And that is this. When we give to the Lord's work, be aware of the fact that you'll want to be recognized more by men for what you're doing than by God for who you say you're doing it for. And they were, you know, it's like they're blowing trumpets. I am now presenting my gift to the offering box. And that's kind of like, and here I go. Watch me walk to the, you know, to the offering box. You know, and, and one of the things that we're very careful here is that, you know, the offering boxes are by the doors, they're by the back, whatever. I mean, you know what? That's something between you and the Lord. And it's like, you want to give, that you give. And there's nothing more awkward than that time when you pass a basket around. That has always been something I, I've always looked at and went, ooh, this is kind of awkward. You know, because people get a little bit uptight about that. Talk a little bit more about that in a second. But his point that he's saying is this. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And when you give, may you do it in secret for your father sees in secret and he will repay. You know, there are a lot of churches that publish giving. And I always thought, well, that's kind of an interesting concept. I know when there were guys that I used to minister to that were from the, from the South, there are many of them who come from Southern churches that actually the whole role of the church with attendance and giving were posted in the, in the doorway as you came in. I know some of you are going, no, you're not thinking about that as being a good idea, are you? What are you, a crazy man? But you go, go wow, you know what? But here's what I thought of when I was thinking about this. While we don't do that, and I know why we don't do that, I mean, we don't do it for several reasons. One is we don't want to be a respecter of persons and allow somebody who gives more financially than somebody else to somehow influence the direction of the ministry and where God may want us to go. So we've got to be very careful about that. We also don't want to look down on people who maybe aren't giving what we think they should be giving. And so that's between, you know, you and the Lord. But, but the, you know, there's, an, there's another reason, and, the, and that's the most practical one of all. And that is that, you know what, for the most part, I think most of us would be embarrassed. And if you're going to be embarrassed now, how much more are you going to be embarrassed when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ? See, because that day, it's all public. That day, it's all visible. That day it all comes before the light. And so what I'm hoping to do as your pastor is to help you avoid the embarrassment of that day 
by encouraging you to become generous to God today. And you won't be embarrassed when that day comes. Because that day's coming. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all give an account. And Jesus said, hey, if you want to be rewarded, then be generous to the kingdom of God now, and I will repay. He also goes on and talks about praying. He says, when you pray, we can earn a reward by praying. But our prayers, are we're to be praying to God without anybody else hearing. It's not to be a public show, public demonstration of, look at our spirituality. It's not to be any of those things. Although there's nothing wrong, listen to me, there's nothing wrong with public prayer. What happens with public prayer is that rather than praying to God and being sensitive to the things that we're bringing before the throne of God, we become self-aware of what we're praying and we begin to wonder and worry about what other people are thinking of us instead of the actual prayer itself. How many of you struggle with that? Uh, Would you pray? Out loud? (laughs) You know, and it's like, you know, and and all of a sudden it's like, we're we're, we're King James. Why? Oh, Lord God Almighty, thou art the greatest, thee is that, and thou is thou, and everyone knows. And you just kind of go, what? So there's nothing wrong with public prayer. In fact, we're going to pray this afternoon, um, you know, around the flagpole for those who are in the military, their families, and those men and women who are serving the country. And so don't take this wrong that meeting together to pray publicly is a wrong thing. What Jesus was saying was their problem was they prayed publicly in order to be praised by men, and it had nothing to do with God. And that's what he said. Don't pray like that. When you pray, don't pray as hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues, on the street corners, in order to be seen by men. But when you pray, you go into the inner room, the private place, shut your door, pray to your Father who is in heaven in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. The third thing he talks about in verse 16 through 18 is fasting. We can receive a reward by fasting before God without anyone else knowing. And he says, and whenever you fast, and fasting is giving up a meal or the time it takes to prepare a meal and eat a meal and clean a meal and digest a meal and everything goes along with a meal, just take all that time and set it aside for a spiritual purpose. Now, what these guys like to do was, if they're going to fast... They want people to know how spiritual they are. Because I ain't giving up a meal without somebody knowing about it. And so they'd walk around like, uh, uh, how's your day going? Fasting. Uh, uh, really, you all right? Yeah, I'll be all right, you know. Because I got my priorities straight. I mean, it should be fine. And it's like, what? And, just, you know, and, and God says, wait a minute. Well, when you do this, don't put on the gloomy face. I have a doctor that every time I get a bad CT scan, he, he calls him, he goes, oh, I'm sorry to, to be the gloomy dog, or the, the droopy, what is it? Droopy dog. Yeah, he says, oh, I'm sorry to be the droopy dog. Like that droopy dog. 
just, just tell me what you want to tell me. I'm a droopy dog. I'm a droopy dog, man. What's a dog for a doctor, man? I just... But that's his line. It's like, you know, oh, droopy dog's out of the kennel. <laughs> Bad news for me. <laughs> Can we feed him and put him back in? I don't know. What do you want to do with this guy? But anyway, so that's what it reminds me of. You know, the droopy dog. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that men may not be seen fasting before men. Others may not see you fasting. But your father who is in secret, your father who sees in secret, will repay. Here's the deal. If we serve to be seen by men, we will be rewarded by men, and that is the end of our rewards. God's not going to reward us again for those things that we've already been rewarded for. You know, if we get all of our strokes in this life, we should not expect repayment in the life to come. We are rewarded by the person whose praise we seek. Do you follow that? We are rewarded by the person whose praise we seek. And if I seek the praise of God, then he will reward me. If I seek the praise of men, then I've gotten my reward in full. See, in fact, when we're overlooked or taken for granted, and when the credit for what we do even goes to somebody else, we can rejoice because we know that God gives us a greater reward. He sees that what we should have been rewarded for, somebody else took credit for. And it's okay because he, his reward's better anyway. I'd rather look forward to what he has for me than what people have for me. Now, blessed are those who have many secrets with God. And I can't wait to, to, to stand before him one day and to be rewarded for things that nobody else but him knows about. Wouldn't that be great? A sixth way to earn God's rewards, okay, let's pick it up pace here a little bit, is by transferring assets from earth to heaven. This has to do with our financial uh, resources God gives us. In other words, how do we use the cash that God gives to us? In Matthew chapter 6, it goes down to verses 19 through 21. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves can't break in or steal, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's all about money, and Christ repeatedly spoke of money as being the litmus test of our loyalties. That if we cannot be trusted with money, we should not think we'll be given more important spiritual responsibilities. If you can't be trusted with money in this lifetime, then don't expect to be given many spiritual responsibilities during the thousand-year reign or the millennium of Christ. Because why would he trust us with things that are of greater importance than how we use money? I mean, that's what, that, the mammon of unrighteousness that he calls it. How often he rebuked the religious leaders of his day for their love of money question for you. Do you love God more than you love money? Here's how you'll know. When God asks you to support his kingdom 
in some way, shape, or form, are you a gracious giver? Do you give, as, as the book of 2 Corinthians says, hilariously, that you can't wait to write the check out for God's kingdom? Or is it like, but if I write that, there goes my boat. If I write that, there goes my new set of golf clubs. If I write that, there goes some sacrifice we're going to have to make on our part. But God, you know that we love you, but not as much as, you know, this new driver I'm looking at. See, do we give generously? Not only do we tithe consistently, but do we give willingly and generously, hilariously, sacrificially when God presents needs above our consistent giving? And these aren't things that are hard to test ourselves on. All you have to do is sit down. If you really want to know how your judgment is going to go before the Lord, then sit down this afternoon and take out your checkbook and see how much you've given to the gospel's work this year through the end of May and compare it through what you gave last year through the end of May. I mean, these are very objective ways to measure whether we are as in love with God as we claim to be. And the only reason I share that with you is because you're going to have to do this one day before the Lord. And you have a chance today to change that outcome if it's a negative one, if it happened right away. Think about that. Many of the ways to earn God's rewards discussed in this outline require financial generosity on our part. If we're going to give and and meet the needs of strangers, we're going to have to give from our resources to do it. If you're going to assist those who represent the kingdom of God and are spreading the gospel, we're going to have to give from our financial resources to do so. You know, do we give of ourselves and our financial resources without seeking attention from others? I mean, all of these things tie back to God's testing us by how we use the financial resources that he gives us. Some of us are so deceived that we believe we're generous towards God when we're really not. And I came across this following story. A woman's husband died. All he had left to his name was $30,000, and everything was done at the funeral home and cemetery. His widow told her closest friend that there was none of the 30000 left after the funeral. And the friend said, how can that be? And the widow said, well, the funeral cost me 6500 bucks, And of course, I made a donation to the church that was 500 I spent another 500 for the reception, for the food and the drinks and, and, and all that goes with that. And she said, and the rest, $22,500 went for the memorial stone. And the friend said, $22,500 for a memorial stone? Well, how big is it? And she said, it's three carats. <laughs> well, there you go. It'll get funnier as the day goes on. (laughs) Point, be generous towards God and not towards yourself. Number seven, we can earn a reward by joyfully accepting injustice for Christ's sake. Matthew chapter 5, 11 and 12, can't get any clearer than this. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you, persecute you, 
and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for they so persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice this. If you are persecuted for Jesus' sake, your reward in heaven will be great. Sometimes people insult us because we are insult worthy. You know what I'm saying? We, we earned their insult. We worked hard for their insult. And he's saying, no, not if you just get insulted because, you know, the kind of person that you are. If you get insulted and persecuted for my name's sake, you will be rewarded. It doesn't get any more straightforward than that. In our culture, such insults generally come in the workplace. They come in, at, at, the, at school. They come in athletic environments. They come from maintaining a godly standard and for not compromising God's truth. They come for not being conformed to this world, but living out biblical convictions in such a way that we cause those around us to cringe at a righteous lifestyle. If you ever have lost a job or been passed over for a promotion or denied playing time or cut from a team all because you are a Christian or are committed to doing the right thing, then guess what? You will be rewarded one day for suffering for Christ's sake. Isn't that great? I got fired from a job, the only job I've ever been fired from in my life. And here's what the guy who fired me said. He came in and handed me a paycheck and he said, listen, until you see God's bleeping name at the bottom of this check as the signer of this check, then you answer to me and you don't question anything that I do. I said, whoa, sounds like we got a problem here. <laughs> you know, born at night, but not last night. It was like, okay, well, wait a minute. Let's see, you're doing, you're doing drugs. You're cheating on your wife. You're stealing money from the company and our suppliers and our customers and I'm supposed to sit back and not say anything and confront you because that's right I said you know I can't do that I've never done it I'm not going to start doing it now he said then you know what then don't let the door hit your rear end on the way out in very graphic terms and you know what and what's interesting about that is is that it was the first time that I learned in my personal life what I had knowledge of headwise in the Bible and that is, is that not always are we rewarded in this lifetime for doing what's right before God. We may lose a job for maintaining God's standards. We may get demoted for maintaining God's standards. We may get passed up on the promotion for upholding God's standards. We may not get that next project because we are not going to compromise in some area to make it happen and make it work out. Because we've drawn a line, and the line is Scripture. See, you know, there's a reason Joseph in Potiphar's house was persecuted for doing what was right before God. And one of the reasons was because he chose to do the right thing. Another reason is, according to 1 Corinthians 10, that he, he is a living, breathing example for you and I of what to expect when we choose to do what's right before God. Don't expect the world to stand back and give us a standing ovation and say, yes, we need more men and women of character. We need men, more men and women who do not compromise their faith. 
We need more people like you, Chuck, around here holding me accountable to my cocaine use and my adultery and my embezzlement. I need a guy like you in my life. Thank you very much. You know, we sit around and we think, and and, and wrongly so, that that's the response the world's going to give us. And you know what? And at the end of the day, they say, you're fired. We don't want you around here. Why? Because you make me feel uncomfortable. Why? Because we are light in darkness, and the darkness hates the light. Because the light shines upon them and exposes their evil deeds and hearts before God and their need to repent and to trust in Christ. The cool thing is this. I'm looking forward to a reward that I didn't know I could get for getting fired 15 years ago or 20 years ago, whatever it was. So I'm sitting there going, nice. That was good. And speaking of the workplace, number eight, by pleasing God, you can earn a reward by pleasing God for your performance at work. Please don't miss this. Man, I don't know how many Christians drop the rock when it comes to this particular area. You have an opportunity in your secular job to earn eternal rewards by how you perform because God's taken note. And that job of yours or mine, which many endure only because they need the money, they put up with being bored and frustrated and insulted and persecuted and and all of those things, being underpaid, in that environment, you can earn God's rewards by being excellent, the best at what you can be. Isn't that great? It'll change your whole attitude. If you go into work trying to please a human being and think somehow you're going to get a bonus or a promotion or something else out of it and they don't even notice what you're doing, don't get discouraged because God does. You're excellent at what you do. Colossians 3, 23. You know, do it heartily. Work heartily as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, as for the Lord rather than men, knowing that from the Lord you're going to receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord God, the Lord Christ, whom you serve. Now let me get a little personal. There may be a reason that the people you work with don't like you. And it goes beyond being a Christian. It goes beyond... You know, not compromising. It goes beyond saying you live according to convictions. They may not like you because you're not very good at what they pay you to do. And you don't care. You lie, you cheat, you steal from them and your coworkers and and your customers and your partners. You are hung up on doing personal business at the expense of your employer And you know what? Maybe their attitude towards you as a Christian and your God would change if they saw that you were committed to being the best that you can be as their employer, I mean employee. There are a lot of employers who can't stand Christians in the workplace because they're always looking for an excuse not to work hard. 
I mean, I know guys in professional sports that it's like, it's the kiss of death if they find out, oh, wait a minute, you're a born-again Christian, aren't you? Oh, you won't have passion, you won't have heart, you won't have desire, you won't give effort, you're going to dog it, you're going to tank it. And I tell guys every, every time that I get a chance for 20-some years of working with them, listen, you know what, you have got to set the standard, you have got to be excellent because the only Christian that they may ever meet is you. And if you're the guy that's getting the job done, then guess what? It changes their whole attitude toward Christ and those who trust in Christ. We need to be excellent at what we're doing. Stop dogging it. Stop stealing time and other resources. Don't be doing personal business on company time. Who knows, perhaps, that your boss, your manager, your coworkers, your teammates will have a change of heart towards you and towards the Lord when they see and not just hear that you are committing, committed to doing your best. To doing your best. So, how are you doing so far? Number nine, you know what? This one should fill our banks up if nothing else will. We can earn heavenly rewards, God's rewards, by loving the unlovable. And we all got people like that, we know. <laughs> Love your enemies. Luke chapter 6, 32 through 35, love your enemies. You know, if you just love your enemies, then God's going to reward you for it. And man, I'll tell you what, who doesn't have in their life someone that's unlovable? Man, we should be able to load up the bank account with this one. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do you good... What credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. He goes, but you love your enemies. Do good. You know, lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Divine love is not dependent upon the one being loved, but on the lover. It's based upon our choice. We must choose to love such people. That difficult person in your family, at work, in your neighborhood, your teammate, classmate, boss, manager, coach, teacher, fellow church member, believer, and the question is, is it worth the effort? And he says, your reward will be great. You know, I, I, God says he created the universe and everything that he did was good. And that's pretty good when you look around. You go, man, that's pretty good stuff. Now, he says, if you love the unlovable, your reward will be great. Well, how much better is great than good? I'm thinking it's not chintzy. It's not breakable. It's not cheap. It's not one of those little dispensers you put the quarter in and a little toy drops out. I'm taking him at his word. We love people that are unlovable and we choose to love them because it demonstrates the love of Christ and us towards them. Then our reward will be great. And last, we'll close with this, is that we can earn God's reward by serving God as a leader in his church. 
1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, that we lead not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Every shepherd, every elder, every leader in the church will be rewarded by God for all the sleepless nights, for all the criticism, for all the uh, uh, attacking opinions, for all the careless and callous comments that are made. Praise God, you know, we don't have such difficult folks at our church. Uh, but if we did, I wouldn't get discouraged. I wouldn't quit. I wouldn't give up because God promises that he'll reward those who endure such treatment because we are called by God to shepherd the flock of God. Rewards are coming one day, but not for all of us because I got a feeling that some of us aren't doing very good on the test. Think about it. How did you do? How are you doing? We haven't even discussed the specific crowns, which are another form of reward that are given for specific actions. The imperishable crown for self-control, the crown of exaltation for winning others to Christ, you know, the crown of uh, righteousness for those who love Christ, the crown of life for those who are hanging tough in the midst of their trials. I mean, there's so many other things we haven't discussed, but I'm thinking that this gives us enough to get started. And the point is this, there are no excuses that'll be accepted by Jesus on the day of our judgment. We know what he's looking for. When will we ever learn? When will we take him seriously? And when will we get busy working for these rewards? And all I know is this, today's not soon enough. Because some of us have lost some time and we need to make it up. You can have a significant impact on your future rewards by how you live life today, both positively and negatively. And a wonderful letter I received, this was part of it. And it was a quote by Charles Haddon Spurgeon that summarizes what I hope I've been saying, not only in this series, but I've been trying to demonstrate and say throughout my ministry and out throughout my personal life. And that's this. It is our duty and our privilege to exhaust our lives for Jesus. We are not to be living specimens of men in fine preservation, but living sacrifices whose lot is to be consumed. Stop conserving energy. Get the word out for Jesus. Keep your eyes on him and the rewards that he has promised to all who love him and serve him. And I like that. Get worn out for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you first and foremost for our great salvation that we have in Christ. For these, war, these rewards would not apply to us otherwise. Because it's our belief that determines our destiny. For by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God so that none can boast. Our behavior determines our rewards. God, thank you that you have made it clear what you expect of us, what you're looking for, and what we can anticipate on that day of judgment. May we get serious 
and start to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. May we make a conscious effort to go down through this list and begin to apply these things in our life, consciously making an effort to do the things that are pleasing to do to you. And we look forward to the promise of your reward. In Jesus' name, amen.